0: Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. The human body is capable of doing a wide variety of movements in a variety of environments, but my guest today argues that most modern people only do a few movements each day, commonly find themselves stuck in sterile surroundings, and these confinements are sapping our physical and psychological health. His name is Erwan LaCour, and he's the founder of the MoveNet Physical Fitness System and the author of the book, The Practice of Natural Movement, Reclaim Power, Health, and Freedom. Today on the show, Erwan explains what natural movement is and our amazing human potential for walking, running, balancing, jumping, crawling, climbing, swimming, lifting, throwing, carrying, catching, and self-defense. We then discuss the cultural forces that have disconnected us and our children from our ability to perform these natural movements and have turned us into zoo humans. Irwin and I then dig into the benefits of engaging with our natural movements, from improved mental and physical health to a greater sense of freedom, and we end our conversation with Irwin's actual advice on how you can easily incorporate more natural movement into your daily life. After the show's over, check out our show notes at aom.is slash naturalmovement. Irwan joins me now via clearcast.io. Erwan LaCour, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Brett. I'm so happy. Uh, so we had you on the show was a few years ago to talk about the MoveNAT technique and you got a new book out, The Practice of Natural Movement, Reclaim Power, Health, and Freedom with Natural Movement. And this book, it's a beautiful book, but it also distills everything you've been teaching people about natural movement for several years now. For those who aren't familiar with this idea, what is natural movement? And then from there, let's talk about how your idea of MoveNAT, the MoveNet technique, fits into natural movement.
1: Natural movement is the the term I've coined to explain what it is for humans to move naturally. And uh, we could use a a metaphor, we could imagine how wild animals move in nature. Let's say a mountain lion, for instance. What's the natural movement for a mountain lion? And obviously, there would be a, a set of movement skills that that feline uses in order to hunt and hide and avoid threats and well do everything the mountain lion needs to survive and even to thrive in a wild environment so what would that be for humans and we have a set of skills that are instinctual and universal that all humans can do and those skills are all, all kinds of, kinds of ground movements like crawling rolling getting up, getting down, hiking and you know, walking, stepping in every way possible and, and running. Diverse locomotion skills. You have also climbing and balancing, and then you can also manipulate objects, lift and carry and throw and catch. You can also defend yourself. You can wrestle, you can strike. And of course you can also move in, in, in water. So humans are incredibly versatile when it comes to their movement abilities, natural movement abilities, and that set of skills that holds that entire scope of universal movement abilities that humans possess is what I call natural movement.
0: So that's natural movement. I think we all know these, these, this is stuff that we do when we're kids, and we'll talk a bit, a bit about that here in a bit. Yep. And they're instinctual, they're natural. But you also have this thing called MoveNat, and I think sometimes people confuse the two. And I think you did a good job distinguishing how MoveNat is different from natural movement.
1: I like to say that natural movement is the it's the practice, it's the the movement behavior as a as a fact, as a reality, as a, a biological duty. Even I like to to call it that way. And MoveNat is the method. It's the method I've designed to help us harness that potential, it's a little like, uh, okay, everybody's got an innate ability to defend themselves, right? You, you'll be able to try to avoid strikes or, you know, you have a, an innate ability to wrestle to the ground, something like that. But that, that doesn't mean you're a fighter. It doesn't mean you're skilled at it. But if you go to a an MMA academy or some place where they teach you skills, then you become a skilled fighter. And then you turn those Innate abilities into actual, you know, mastered skills by learning techniques. So the same apply. Exactly the same applies to all our other natural movement abilities. We can turn them into skills, but to do that, you need a method, and that's what MoveNet is about. So, in, in the, a lot of people need MoveNet today to, you know, this this
0: very regimented technique to teach these movements, these natural movements, because for a lot of modern people, they've forgotten to do these very basic universal instinctual movements.
1: The, not only they've forgotten it, so that means that you know we all that's where we all start natural movement. When we're kids, we start crawling, we start standing and walking, and, you know, prior to any instruction, prior to being taught what's the proper way to exercise. We have a crazy effective instinctual program within us, within ourselves, within our DNA, again, universally, regardless of ethnicity, gender, all those considerations. You look at all kids around the planet, and they all start their movement journey the same way. And it's true that then we forget it because of a number of cultural influences that drive us away from those behaviors and that actually never let us fully develop that potential, that physical potential and movement potential in the first place. So we, it's not just that we need to reawaken to those movements. We literally, for most people, literally need to learn what they were never enabled to acquire and develop in the first place because it's a process that was interrupted, that was obstructed. That's a fact.
0: Well, and you call this, the, the, this, this these cultural pressures that prevent us from even developing some of these natural movements that are very basic. You call it the zoo human predicament, right?
1: Yeah, well, that's a, a term that was coined by you know, a zoologist called Desmond Morris, who wrote a book called The Human Zoo, where he examined the behaviors of people living in cities. And then you realize that in those man-made environments, you also have man-made behaviors and that include a complete lack of movement, Uh, not complete in the sense that, of course, there are still day-to-day movements that we do, but compared to the movements that we would normally do, especially in natural environments in the past, when I talk about our past, we're talking about hundreds and thousands of years of life and survival in wild environments, then compared to that reality of the past, movement behavior today is extremely shrunk. It's extremely minimal, but in that sense, minimalist in terms of movement is not a good idea. It's it's hurting us. We 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 have become really inept. And that's that's one aspect of what I took call, you know, the the zoo human predicament. It's not good it's just not good yeah it creates a movement
0: poverty like you might the only movement you might do is get up from a chair walk to another room walk out of the car sit in the car walk out from the car that might be the only movement you do but then you you are not doing things like jumping or climbing or maybe jogging or hanging from something which are things that your your body's also capable of doing
1: movement poverty it's a it's it it's in fact a a modern prejudice that's self-inflicted and also culturally inflicted, but that very few people notice—that they are—it's it, a reality in their life. So, like you, like you said, and I, I wrote about it in my book. What people's physical behavior is made of on a day-to-day basis—you know, for most people—it's simply to uh, sit and stand, and sit again, and stand again. And walk a few short steps and, and that's it. There's no there's no variety. Where's the jumping? Where's the crawling? Where's the balancing? Where's the hanging and climbing? The the hiking, the stepping up, stepping down, stepping over, stepping through on diverse terrains. Where, where's the lifting? You know, picking up heavy things, carrying them, throwing or catching. Where's all of that? Where's all the variety of movements that used to be part of our day-to-day reality as humans and in a modern lifestyle those movements are gone and so that movement poverty what happens is that physiologically it has adverse effects on your physiology on your function on your but also on your cognition on your well-being on your levels of energy and ultimately on on your quality of life
0: right and but the nefarious thing about it the thing it it sneaks like you can be okay with movement poverty for, you know, good stretches of time, right? Because like you don't, like people, you, you don't need to jump. You don't need, like we don't run hunter-gatherers carrying loads across logs or whatever. But even in this modern world, there will come a time when you might have to do something like it. And because you haven't done that for a long time, you injure yourself. Like you, you talk to these middle-aged guys who they go through the life getting up, you know standing up walking to work whatever and then they bend down to pick something up in their yard and they just they throw their back out right and it's because they haven't been they haven't been practicing different movements and when the, once they try to do something they haven't been
1: doing they injure themselves exactly it happens all the time especially because those movements are natural right so everybody expects that at any time they can do them spontaneously and then yeah you can easily get injured and that's and number one, the reason is um, it's because you never practice those movements, actually. Your body is not ready for them. Maybe part of your brain, neurologically, you're like, oh, yeah, I got that. I got this. But when you do it, your tissues are like, uh, excuse me, sir, when's the last time you've, you've done that? And we're not happy with this. <laughs> and, and, and then you feel pain. You feel something is is tweaked. Uh, you're wondering if that's it. Oh, it's it. I'm 35. I'm old now too old. (laughs) But that's not true. You know, I'm I'm nearing, I'm pushing 50 and I'm super dynamic, man. I still can't jump and climb and run and do all these movements because I've I've never stopped doing it. I'm not obsessed by it. I'm not doing it like crazy. I'm not training every day. But I'm definitely in a phase of you know continuous maintenance of my skills, of my strength and condition to be able to perform those movements at any time, including without warm-up. So physiologically, I'm, I'm staying ready. And I'm not doing that by doing some unrelated programs, unrelated movement or drills. I'm staying able and ready and prepared for such movements and such efforts by... Regularly practicing those exact movements and efforts, I want to be ready for. That means that in my physical practice, there is everything is involved. Climbing is involved, K- jumping is involved, running is involved, lifting and carrying is involved, running and diving is involved. All of it is involved, and that's the only way that you you stay ready. Because we're talking about real world performance, real world capability. You cannot assume that you are ready. So if tomorrow whatever happens and you're like, oh, I have to jump down that little obstacle, it's nothing, just like you know, 20 years ago, and boom, and that's it. You just effed your knee because you never verified that you were still able to do such such things such movements such real movements and because for too long you you have been physically idle maybe you've been lacking sleep chronically maybe you've been eating foods that are super inflammatory you know a number of lifestyle patterns that you have not taken care of physiologically they hurt you but number one reason why you you may hurt yourself trying to do those movements is simply because you never do those movements
0: so there's, yeah, there's a, there's a physiological consequence of, of movement poverty, injury, things like that. But there's also like a psychological consequence of movement poverty. Whenever you just do the same thing over and over again, there's a lot of people who are lacking vitality. They just feel depressed and like monotone about their life. And you argue that natural movement can actually be a remedy or part of the remedy of that malaise.
1: Well, the mental part of practice is very important. Well, let's not forget that in the first place, your body does not do anything by itself, right? You have a brain to operate your body. It, the brain is in command. And what's the brain? The brain is your intention. It's what you're what you're seeking, what you want, what you want to do with your body, what you expect from it, what you expect from your training. All of that matters a lot. The great thing about natural movement is that when you when you train, you don't expect um, some kind of indirect outcome to the time and effort that you put into your training, right? It's, it, it's straightforward. It's It's instant verification, instant gratification, not necessarily that everything you do makes you happy and that you're satisfied, but it's instant gratification in the sense that, say you jump over an obstacle, you're trying to do it effectively, you're trying to do it efficiently, You're trying to get better at it, more and more skilled, more and more relaxed, more and more accurate. That's not a physical thing. It's all mental. It's about being mindful. So that reconnects you with the here and now. That's the beauty of it. It's not only that, all the movements you do with MoveNet are practical. means you don't have to scratch your head and wonder, well, what's the functional benefit of this or that? If you can't see it, as you do your movement, then it's very likely that whatever drill you're doing is actually not functional. It's, it's that simple. So when you jump an obstacle, when you climb, you, you're going to get on top of something. You're going to balance across something. There's an interaction with the real world, even if it's in, in a gym. Even a, uh, like some of our gyms, you know, they're they're custom made for that kind of practice, or that could be in your backyard, or that could be at the local playground. That could be in the woods, but there's an interaction with the real world that can't be denied, and not only can't cannot be denied, it's the core of the practice. And in most modern programs, that connection with the real world is completely removed. And it makes training less realistic as you train. And and that's a problem. Because man, to feel to feel good, to feel that you're doing something real. You need to do something real. And so there's more to this. There's a little more to this, Brett. It's not only that you will experience that realness in real time as you practice, but it will also give you instant feedback as of where you're at in terms of your competency, in terms of your capability. Real, Real time, when you jump over an obstacle, it doesn't have to be you know uh, something dangerous it can be done in a way that's progressively you know that's safe and progressively difficult but nonetheless you may have to deal with some of your fears and then you have an instant feedback of how you did it where you' were you stiff were you afraid where what happened in your mind what how did that translate into physical behavior maybe of symptoms of you know physical symptoms of, of stiffness of rigidity of of lack of inaccurate timing and things like that. There's a number of manifestations, physical manifestation, because of your mind is not streamlined as you as you do the movement. So all this is the mental aspect of practice that in many ways is removed from other programs that's really there in move that. And And what it is going to give you is a sense of reality, which is really missing in our virtual era, more sense of reality, the here and now, because you can't can't think about anything else, but what you're doing at the moment, you're doing the movement, you are fully in it because you've got to adapt in body and mind to the very variables, the context that you're dealing with. And then ultimately it gives you self-confidence. It gives you self-esteem. It gives you an ability to anticipate. It gives you, there's many, many benefits to your mind that go beyond the physical side of training. And that's very important.
0: And I also think it's just fun. Like these, these movements are fun. Crawling on the ground is fun. Hanging from a tree limb is fun. Balancing on things. This is stuff you did as, as a kid. And, if you, it's been maybe 20, 30 years since you've done anything like that and you do it again, it makes you feel like a kid again.
1: Yeah, but those natural movements, they are definitely reminiscent of what we all universally experienced as kids. When we were kids, we were, again, there was no idea, no notion of what's proper exercise and how to isolate muscles and count repetitions and go through, you know, instructor programs. And I'm not saying that there are no benefits to such approach, actually. It's actually also part of the MoveNet method. It can be absolutely structured. But we don't remove those movements that are just natural to us. And that's why they are instinctual when we're kids. We crawl, we, we jump, we balance, we hang, we do all these movements. And it was uh, indeed a lot of fun because it was freedom. It was freedom and it was also naturalness. It means that the program capital t h e the program the original and everything else is an invention it's man made it's based on whatever science study anatomy you know and whatever analytical understanding of the human body and how it should move and how it should best exercise but that's not what the original program by design is but and by design we're also talking about you know the design of the of the human body but also uh, the the experience of a long, long line of people, of human beings before us living that natural life in the wild. I'm not romanticizing this. I'm not saying, hey, let's all go back to that. All I'm saying is that there's a reason why we instinctually move naturally in all, all those diverse ways of crawling and kneeling, squatting, hanging, jumping and landing and so forth. There's a reason why we do this. It's because that is what is necessary to our very survival, at least in our past circumstances. So now everything seems to have become optional. But from an evolutionary psychology perspective, the drive to do it is still there from a biological perspective and necessity to do It's still there. Always have, always will. There's no way you can erase so much experience, so much memory just because we modern humans have decided to change our ways of life to make them more convenient. It's great that we have many conveniences, but we can't lose what we have acquired. And if we dismiss that, then we suffer. There are numerous consequences for dismissing those natural movement behaviors. So, of course, when we reintroduce those movement behaviors again in our lives, it's a lot of fun. It's liberating, it's exhilarating. It's like, wow, why did I ever stop? And you you may wonder, why did we ever stop? Because truly, what have we created that? that beats that that's better well so let's talk about
0: you've you've been talking about there's different cultural forces that have you know stifled natural movement i think one obvious one for people is just the way we work it's very sedentary you go to a desk and you sit and you're doing you know very abstract work on your computer but besides that what are the other cultural forces that have you know stopped people from you know fully developing natural movements that they they have
1: well there's so many it's it started with the idea that we're not we're not animals, and indeed we're, I mean we're an amazing species. We're we are unique, but at the same time, we've culturally and that's for a long time, uh, you know, forced ourselves to separate ourselves from nature, and even from the nature in us. You know, like not going barefoot. You know, always clothing ourselves elevating ourselves with chairs and uh, you know not sitting on the ground not being in touch with nature physically that you know like hey don't don't crawl it's dirty nature is dirty dirt is dirty the word dirty comes from dirt so dirty you know and said dirty is like a, a rejection of dirt it's a rejection of earth it's a re- rejection of a very uh, of creation of you know whatever you call that of a universe of the earth of the very material that we originate from physically speaking at least we to say that we come from nature that we come from earth that we're, we're made of it we're made of dirt that's not a romantic idea it's just a fact it's a scientific fact and when we try to separate ourselves from from that environment, from those elements, from those forces, from those energies, we we pay a price because we don't feel good. Because we need those we need nature. We need the the freshwater streams. We need the the wind in our hair. We need to feel the ground under our feet. We need to look at real light, breathe real real air. We need that to thrive. There's no way around this. So that that's number one. And then ultimately, economically, we've created technologies, we've created jobs that do not necessitate us to, to be physically active to produce. And um, so that's what we do. That's what most people do every day. Well, and we all need a job, but at the same time, the unfortunate part of this is that it, like you said, the, those jobs, they, they are abstract. They force us to sit all day and to look at screens. Now, well, nobody's working all day. I mean, we have some free time. The problem is, even that free time, people still keep sitting and looking at screens. And even when people go exercise, which is very commendable, well, let's say they do they do that three times a week. So that's three hours, all right? three hours a week, they're going to go exercise. They're going to go exercise in gyms that are artificial environments. They might sit and, you know, between sets and reps and whatever, they might sit and chat and maybe look at their phones. So they're going to be physically active only half of that time. So that's one hour and a half, that's 90 minutes. And maybe at least half of that type of exercise is going to be spent sitting because you sit on machines to exercise trying to isolate your muscles. So that's 45 minutes that are maybe done exercising in a non-sitting position. Maybe you're running on an elliptical or something, and maybe you're still watching at some TV screen, something. So even the way most people exercise is still artificial. But in any case, even if you truly are physically active in terms of, of training, for 45 minutes total, grand total in a week, or even an hour and a half, that's not even. That's what two percent of your wake time in a week. Two percent. What is the rest made of? More sitting, more standing, more maybe walking a few short steps. That 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 doesn't that doesn't impact your physiology much, that doesn't do that much good for you. So what you need is a completely completely different strategy because to really thrive physiologically, and if we talk about physiologically, the way movement behavior is going to beneficially impact your physiology is also going to beneficially impact you neurologically. If you want to do that, if you want to achieve that, You need a completely different strategy. And you also need a strategy because, like we've said, there are cultural influences that work against you. And you need a strategy so that you can basically resume a movement behavior that otherwise is gone. That not only nothing in your day-to-day life necessitates that you do that that you jump that you run that you climb that you that you that you crawl you don't have to do it you don't have to do it to procure food to to stay alive you don't need it you can skip it you can dismiss it your call but when you do that you throw away a lot of who you are as a human as a as a human being you you dismiss a lot of your potential a lot of your potential energy and capability in your life. You basically dismiss a lot of life in your life by doing that. So that strategy is to reintroduce in your day-to-day movement, physical behavior, a lot of those lost, forgotten movements, a little by little. More variety, more volume, more frequency. So we're not talking about Super hard, grueling physical ordeals, you know, for half hour and one hour, three times a week. We're talking number one with a frequent micro sessions of movement whenever possible. Before work, during work, if possible, during lunch break, after work, on weekends, add movement to your life step by step reintroduce that lost variety of movement that used to be there in our ancestors' lives
0: well i mean one of the other cultural forces you've talked about and written about in uh, length about is just even our idea of physical fitness today and you actually you wrote a hist an article about the history of physical fitness we have on artofmanliness.com put a link to it but you talk about, you go back a hundred years ago, thousands of years ago, like physical fitness, physical training was very designed to help people do what they needed to do. So a lot of the physical training came out of the military. And so you go back to Roman times or even Greek times, you could find records of them doing training that was designed to help them be better warriors. But as we have get into the 19th century, the 20th century, Physical fitness took a shift away from that sort of very practical, functional idea of phys- fitness to what you call it. the, the whole f- whole point is aesthetics, right? Just do you look good naked, basically.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, not that there is anything wrong with looking good naked. Actually, it's even a, it's a it's one of the legit expectations of a physical training. There's there's nothing. Not only there's nothing wrong about it, it's it's awesome if you can develop a good-looking body and feel great about it. That's great. My point is modern fitness programs have almost in their entirety evolved to be obsessed with that and to only focus on that exclusively. So not only it's a priority, it's an exclusivity. There's nothing else you're truly looking at. And uh, yeah, definitely that's, an over, that's a generalization, but still for most people, when they think of exercising, the number one right away thought is, how is this going to make me look? I want to look better. I want to look good. Hey, that's great, but you want the image when you're not interested in the function. How's that? Because for because until now, until modern times, I mean seriously in the past, in the time of my grandparents and, and, and everybody else before them, before them, like if you were to walk around trying to show off your amazing body, people would laugh at you. But if you were to be able to show some real world capability, like being able to lift something really heavy, to run a long distance to climb like a high tree, very high, do something like that, people would be like, whoa, the guy is strong. The guy is capable. The guy is tough. No, that that meant something. It didn't matter what you look like. It mattered what you were able to do. It mattered what was your capability. That would give you respect. That would make you be appreciated by your community, by other people, not the size of your biceps, not the shape of your chest. Because that alone is not an, an indication whatsoever of what you're actually capable of doing in the real world. I can, you know, I go to a gym, to a regular gym. I take the, these guys out of an environment and they can be, and I'm not saying that in a cocky way. Just, I just, It's just a reality. Most of these people, they're going to be destroyed just running for 15 minutes, especially if you take them on wild terrains. And we're not even talking about having to clear some obstacles on the way because they ne- never trained for that. So they're train, they just trained to have big muscles. You know, a, a, a guy who does buddy boulder is not a guy who does powerlifting or Olympic lifting or strongman training. That's completely different. It's at least if you do all the three that I, I mentioned last – you're looking at some real results of actual c- capability at least one aspect of it it's not the whole complete scope but it's at least one aspect of it they don't really care about how you know how big they look they look at how big they can lift or or carry how big they can manipulate because at least there is that mindset of it means something. It's it's real in the real world. It's useful potentially in the real world. If you apply that mindset to every other skill and aspects of strength and conditioning that you may need to be truly capable to operate in the real world, then you want to add a number of training to your training, number of practices to your practice.
0: We're going to take a quick break for your word from our sponsors. Right now, listeners of our podcast can get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash AOM. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash AOM. Masterclass.com slash AOM. Check out the Masterclass on Negotiation with Chris Voss. And now back to the show. Yeah, I mean, I think specializations, there's nothing wrong with specialization if that's what you're going to do. If you're going to be, you decide you want to be a powerlifter and you're going to compete you need to specialize. But for most people, you don't need to deadlift 800 pounds, right? But you you do need to have some strength. Yeah, you know, I I, I do powerlifting. And there was a point in my training, when I was doing barbell training, where my coach said, look, you're generally strong. You know, you can take life on and you can allow you to live and do things you want to do. You have to decide now if you want to... You know, specialize and just do this, and you know you're gonna ri- the inju- the risk for injury is gonna go up. It's gonna hurt and whatever, and you're gonna to have to like not focus on other aspects. You have to make that decision, and I made that decision because I wanted to do that, I wanted to compete. But I think a lot of people they see that and they're like, well, I want to do that, but also run, you know, fast, you know, mile. I want to be able to do this. It's like you can't do that. You have to make a decision. But if you just want to be overall generally healthy, you 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 have to have this variety of movements in place.
1: Yes, exactly. And you know well, Brett, that is your choice. And it makes you happy. And you're good at it. And I know that as long as you feel that you're satisfied and that your body can keep keep up with it, then you should absolutely do that. Specialization can be great. It can enable people to achieve their own greatness and provide a ton of satisfaction with just one sport, one endeavor once like like we said one specialization and also uh, specialization in sports have contributed amazingly to the understanding of human biomechanics and best training protocols to achieve particular results in a particular aspect of human performance but the same way your coach told you, "Hey," um, or, or you said, "You know, not not everybody's going to be capable of lifting nine hundred pounds." Absolutely correct. Not everybody is going to be able to lift four hundred fifty pounds, and that's that's okay. My point is, the overwhelming majority of people don't need to be great at any of those particular specializations. They don't need to specialize. Most of us just don't need to specialize. What we need, if somebody somebody's health overall is not really that great, if somebody's physical capability overall is not especially great, you don't need to pick one sport. You don't need to pick one specialization and to put all your time and effort in that. When uh, you could really thrive by embracing what we originally do, or we we're supposed to do as humans, which is to to practice all those diverse movements again, the same way we we're kids. When we we're kids, we we're smart. We just followed the program, the, the the natural design program. We did all of that, and it made us super. <sighs> Super strong, super capable, super and super happy, full of energy every day. It's not just because we were young. It's because we were doing this. Because, look, there's tons of kids today. They don't move naturally a lot because they're given screens from a young age. And they sit all day looking at screens. Do you think that those kids are have boundless energy and they, they are super happy and all? No. And yet they're young. So it's not about youth. It's about behavior. The reason why we felt young and we felt energetic was because we were following the program, that natural movement program that's built in in all of us and that we just forgot and need to reactivate. So, you know, Brett, even if you are uh, specialized and because you want to achieve that greatness in that particular field that you love, you you don't have to pursue performance, say in jumping or crawling or climbing or balancing and all of these movements. But it doesn't mean that if you practice some of them a little every day, that you will it will not help you even to be even more thriving physically and to even better prevent injuries. When it and and why not even support greater performance when it comes to that. Powerlifting specialization.
0: No, that that's true. Like I've continued. So I've been to a MoveNat seminar, and I continue to do incorporate MoveNet into my just my daily just daily life. Like I'll, you know, do a, a ground routine where I'll be doing some crawls and backwards and forwards, a crab crawl, a tripod transition, things like that. That just they're fun. They feel good. But at some movements, in particular, like they've they've helped me with my my powerlifting. I feel like I'm very tight in my chest. And in my shoulders, so that crab crawl, or you know, you're on your 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 butt, and you're kind of you know inching inverted, for, yeah. yeah, inverted
1: foot hand it, crawl, we call it.
0: That really opens up my chest, Now that feels good. Uh, another yeah. one, like before I, I shoulder press, just hanging from a bar, you know, that's a move, a natural movement technique. I'll just hang from a bar, and that really opens things up. And I'll kind of do some swings from side, you know, um, side to side. So yeah I, I mean I it's definitely you're able to incorporate this stuff along with the specialization. in fact, I just had a podcast interview with a guy just uh, wrote a book about the importance of breath even if you are a specialist, it's important to have a breadth of knowledge and he talked about this idea of a t-shaped individual I and mean, it's usually the, the most innovative people in science or in you know technology they they specialize in something in an area but they continue to nurture or develop other practices outside of that. So he talked about a lot of Nobel prize winners are, they're more likely to be artists, singers, musicians, compared to the general public. So those are examples of people who specialize, but at the same time are diversifying. It sounds like you're saying the same thing. You can specialize, but you should probably still diversify because that can actually improve your specialization.
1: Right, exactly. And in fact, you only diversify in the sense that you have specialized in the first place. You know, it's just like a MMA, mixed martial arts. You only have to mix them because they were specialized in the first place. Originally, the the, the martial art of the uh, the samurais was made of all of that. They would train the sword and other weapons, and then they would also train, you know, empty hand kind of skills. So they would do elements of judo, element of jiu-jitsu, elements of karate, elements of aikido. It was... It was all there. And so then everything branched out and became specialized. And then ultimately, you bring that all back into one whole approach and practice. And then you have MMA. So you only need to diversify when you're specialized. But nobody's specialized. Originally, nobody's a mono mover. That's again, that's one of the cultural influences of this modern world. Hey, pick your field, pick your specialization. You got to choose one. You can't have them all. Why not? Why not? Oh, because I can't, I'm not going to be reaching a level, a competitive level. And so what? It's not about being at the level of the elite, at the level of those who actually, because you can only reach an elite when you specialize, right? So uh, you take any of those highly fit athletes in whatever area, but they're going to suck at the rest, or they're not going to be that good at least. Because originally, you have natural movement. And all those specialized sports, they all come from natural movement and not the other way around. So you see, when you have a practice like MoveNAT, They're not saying, oh, wow, they've they've mixed lifting with some parkour stuff and then uh, there's some running and, uh, you know, you mix those sports together and then you have what's called movement. Uh, Excuse me, but originally there's natural movement where if you want to survive in the wild, you'd better be able to climb the tree, to jump over the obstacle, to run the distance, to lift and carry heavy things or people, and to do all those things because if you can't do it all, you're in trouble. You're not going to make it. That's the reason why we have that movement potential. That's not thanks to special ed sports. All special ed sports were enabled by the fact that we have a natural movement, memory, and potential in us. So you look at uh, whatever sport, soccer. Okay, what are you doing? You're running. You you look at tennis. What is tennis? Well, it's it's a striking movement. It's, it's a basically a throwing movement. It's the throwing biomechanics that was used for hunting stuff. Okay, well, then you put, instead of having a spear in your hand, now you have a racket. And, of course, there are other modifications, but you're basically running and throwing at the same time, and, what, and, and you're also somewhat catching with the racket as you throw. You can look, you can interpret or analyze any modern sports through the scope of what movement patterns are involved that were originally used in the wild for our survival and that will really change your you know the way you look at those sports so you look at uh, any uh, manipulative specialization that it is Olympic lifting powerlifting you, you look at all of that and you make the same conclusion that what you're trying to replicate is not just physical it's basically a practical mindset to to achieve a practical outcome that serves the purpose of just staying alive and thriving
0: so another cultural force so there's there's the idea that we have to specialize that's a cultural force there's an idea that you know in the fitness industry that the the focus should be on aesthetics only and not being able to move and be useful and and be yeah useful in the world, but another cultural force that I think prevents people from doing natural movement, things like climbing trees or hanging from a branch or whatever is that people think it's weird. It's like well, you don't do that when you're twenty five years old and you could have done that when you're ten, but you're a grown up now don't do that you you look like a weirdo.
1: Yeah, it reminds me of that song by uh, Super Trump. The what is it? The logical song.
0: Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Right. It's um. Yeah, you're taught to be reasonable, sensible, cynical. It's uh. Yeah, that's another cultural influence that's pretty, pretty negative. Is that you're not supposed to do that, and you're not supposed to do that because you're not supposed to be that. That's too much freedom now. That's too much yeah, it's too much freedom. Hey, it's I don't know. It's like if you have a wild animal or or maybe a tamed animal in a cage and they see their their wild counterpart walking around outside, that's probably going to you know bother them because the wild counterpart has a freedom they, they don't have anymore. So You know, when, uh, it's just like when when people are trying to limit you, they want to limit you because your ability to do something is a reminder that they've they've lost it for themselves. So it bothers them. So in order to not be bothered, instead of saying, hey, maybe I could have the same freedom. Maybe I could unleash myself a little, give myself a little of slack and just, becoming more free and, and greater and have more fun. How how about I do it too? No, we're gonna be like, hey, if I can't do it, I'm going to prevent you from doing it. It's it's a basic negative kind of psychology thing. And so a lot of and that's very uh, pervasive in our in today's society. And it's an unsaid, unseen kind of limitation. We even have learned to self-impose those limitations. Oh, I can't do this. Why? Why? Tell me why. Well, I don't know. It's not done. I don't know. Well, you don't even question why it's not done. Why is it that you can't do it? Because you were made to believe that you can't do something. Those are cultural limitations we're talking about. So, yeah, an adult is not supposed to be climbing a tree. A person is not supposed to be barefoot. Those are, this doesn't hurt anybody, right? Does it? Actually, it makes people stronger, makes people happier, makes people healthier. It makes people more free. And that's a beautiful thing. So why do you want to limit that? What happens with those self-limitations is that say, if you want to do that, you want to go to a park, you want to do those movements, And before you know it, you have that inner voice that's not even your own. That's telling you, hey, well, are people going to think? But really, who cares? Actually, what bothers you is not what people think or what people may think. What bothers you in your head is what you assume people are going to think. It's what you think of people may think that limits you. And you know what? That's not on people. It's on you. What do you want? Do you want to be free? Do you want to have more freedom, starting with freedom of movement? Do you want to achieve that physical capability that's real, that's useful in the real world? Or do you want to stay confined to limited goals, even when it comes to fitness, to go to the gym and just be like, okay, I just want to increase the size of my biceps and Maybe a little broader shoulders, maybe bigger chest, and that's it. Try to nuts, skip leg days. I'm sorry, that's I'm just gonna say it the way it is. That's a limited goal. You can achieve amazing bodies, not necessarily bulky, but you know muscular and lean, and that actually can do real thing in the world by training move The
0: the the idea that you sh- you shouldn't do those things, like you shouldn't climb trees or crawl around on the ground, like that starts when you're a kid. In some, for some people, it's like, hey, especially with boys, like, hey, quit rolling around, quit roughhousing, settle down. Don't, oh, don't, don't climb that tree. It's dangerous. You know, we've, you read about schools getting rid of recess so they can focus on, you know, test scores, or they found that recess is too dangerous. And so they're trying to, you know, reduce liability. So they change playgrounds. So they're like, there's sort of these weird plastic bubble looking things that aren't any fun. It's criminal. Yeah. So it begins then. And so you even have kids who are, you know, leaving school physically inept?
1: It's criminal. It's, it's, it's just going to kill the kids even more. You know? It's going to kill their... Physiologically, to begin with, because there are windows of physiological development. If you uh, miss them, it's hard to catch it later, or it's not even possible to begin with. Because your tissues need to grow strong and healthy and develop in a certain way at a certain age. And what it takes for that is not just proper food, like really nutritious food. It's also proper movement. It's also those movements you can't not have them in the day to day in the day to day life of the of the kid. And that's why you see now young kids their their bodies look dysfunctional. It's not just that they are overweight. And I'm saying that you know with with sadness because it it should never happen. To me, that's that's criminal that's a real prejudice it doesn't matter that the kids they are whatever the you know the social background it's that's not the problem the problem it's it's a cultural thing that happens to all of us so what they do in, in schools where they remove recess or they remove any opportunity for the kids to move because they're gonna hurt themselves and the schools are afraid that they're gonna be sued and this kind of, what kind of society is that it's criminal because we're gonna raise, Entire generations of kids, boys and girls, because girls also can and deserve and have the ability to be very capable physically. You know, that's not a gender thing. I mean, my, I have a girl, she's nine years old. She's crazy capable physically. And I've not even retrained her, but I have enabled her just like I do with my, my, my two boys to do things that a huge a vast majority of parents do not let their kids ever do jump over obstacles climb trees do all you know run barefoot do all these movements so it's almost like we're we're breeding a different species or something
0: no, and not only will there's are there physiological consequences, but there's also mental and psychological consequences, which I think is it's ironic what they've found, what researchers have found on on schools that actually incorporate a lot of movement throughout the day and give the kids more recess. Like test scores actually go up compared to kids who are just in the, the school and underneath fluorescent lights in their desks, sitting still. Like they those kids are actually doing worse than the kids who were getting outside and playing and having fun.
1: Exactly, Brett. Now you got me fired up. Yes, because you know the brain that solves all the movement problems, and you have movement problems to solve, especially when, again, you interact with complex environments. So basically, if you jump, so to, to jump, a, a jump implies you launch the, your body, you propel it to be airborne, then you are airborne, then you land. Okay, so that alone is a sophist- very sophisticated process. Now, if you add to that the fact that your brain needs to calculate the exact place where your feet are going to land to actually land accurately and safely, and there's a gap and there's potential danger, and the surface where you're going to land is not even even. It's not even maybe stable. There's a lot for the brain to calculate, and that, Calculation is not done by counting, you know, by doing equations in your mind. It's redone by by the amazing piece of technology, of biotechnology, which is the brain. And it happens in milliseconds. And so you're going to jump. And your brain is wired, it's geared, it's entirely structured and designed for that, number one, not for formal education not for academics you have a brain for complex movement within complex environments and complex context a context context made of the environment, all the variables of the diverse demands of the environment and the situation you're dealing with so that could be a lot of look when you move through those unpredictable environments that's nature basically. You're a fortune teller because you move from point A to B and that once when you're at point B, it becomes your point A and there's a next point B. And the next point B becomes point A and then there's a next point B and so on and so on and so on. You keep moving. And you, your brain is a fortune teller. Your brain can tell how you're going to get there. That's pretty amazing how... What foot is going to step where? What hand is going to be hanging from where? And where are you going to end up? And it's, gotta, it's pretty unbelievable. Like you can't even have robots do the same. And so the same brain that's origi- originally designed for, for that natural movement is the same brain that's going to do your mental math. That's gonna do your abstract thinking, that's gonna memorize whatever. You know, that's gonna learn all these, all those other aspects of your cognition are enabled because again, you have a brain for natural movement in the first place. So there's there's that evidence, and that's the reason why. When you train natural movement, when you do move nat, you you will score better in school. When you move, you your brain functions better. We even have a scientific study, actually, that proves that. Uh, look, I was done with that movements and uh, that proved that it, it boosted working memory, which is how fast and how well you process information.
0: Another aspect, a, a principle of natural movement that you talk about in the book is the environment. So there, we have a poverty of movement, there's also in a way, because of our modern life, we have a poverty of, of environments. Like we see sort of the same, very smooth, frictionless surroundings, like whether it's in our home or our office. And so there's a lack of diversity that prevents us from, I guess, exploring the full range of movements that we are capable of doing.
1: That's another one of those other uh, cultural influences that have to do with um, not directly with behaviors themselves. Like, So when we said, hey, don't move, you're going to get dirty, you're going to break a leg, that's influencing your, your behavior, that's impacting your mindset, and ultimately it becomes self-limiting. So what you're talking about here is the cultural influence that stems from the environments we've designed for us to live collectively, modern environments that are very boxy, very flat, very linear, very stable, very predictable, and basically very sterile. They're convenient, they're comfortable, but from a movement perspective, it removes a ton of opportunities so when kids grow up in those environments, what's interesting is that at least for some time before before the second aspect of that cultural indoctrination is taking place where it is in their mind that they're, you know, consciously or unconsciously, they end up telling themselves, well, no, I can't move, I can't do that, it's going to be loud, my parents, adults around me are going to be annoyed, so I should just behave and be still. But before that sinks in in their young psyche, it doesn't matter to them that those environments are unnatural. It doesn't matter to them that those environments are artificial. They will move naturally no matter what. They will crawl under the table. They will climb up the the table or the chair and jump off. If you let them, they will... uh, they will climb up your curtains if you let them. They will vault over the couch. You know, they, they will crawl up and down the, the stairways. What I mean is that the behavior is there naturally. The natural movement behavior is there regardless of the environment. And that's similar to what wild animals do. If you bring a, a raptor in a city, they're not going to turn into a pigeon. If you bring a, a wolf, into a city or in an apartment, they're not going to start behaving like a chihuahua just because the environment changes, because their mindset has not changed. And they're still very willing to be the wild eagle and the wild wolf that they are. You know, you can't tell them to be something else. You cannot tell them to be a tamed species with a tamed behavior. They have a freedom. They have that that strength. They have that innate power. It's not been removed from them, and it manifests into their physical behavior. So what we're talking about is that that mindset that normally enables us to become strong and capable, autonomous human beings is taken away from us in many ways as young children. And movement, natural movement, is a big is a huge part of it because you take away the movement man you take away all the fun you take away all the freedom you take away all the the, the potential for strength and capability in your life and self-esteem and self-confidence and even uh, again uh, cognition how it boosts your cognition so that's a, a huge huge amount of you that's being taken away from you it's it's a, it's not
0: good. Well, so er, Erwan, we've been talking about very high level, uh, about natural movement and the benefits and what prevents us from doing those sorts of things. But well, let's talk kind of specific. Let's say someone's listening to this and they want to get started. What's the easiest? What's something they can start doing today to start incorporating more natural movement into their life?
1: There are very simple ways you can start to reintroduce that lost variety of movement and frequency of movement that I've been, I've been talking about, you know, when you look at your day-to-day movement behavior and you realize that it, it is truly made of very, very simple, overly basic movements and positions, such as, uh, again, standing or walking a few short steps to the next seat and, and sitting a lot. And that you you do that from morning to evening, basically. That's the case for most people. There are simple strategies to to address that. But first off, you need to really make that realization that there is movement poverty in your life. And you want to make your movement behavior richer. So let's take a simple example. For instance, how do you brush your teeth? Why don't you brush your teeth in a deep squat? Because otherwise, when do you ever deep squat? And today, in modern populations, like a lot of people have lost an ability to deep squat at all or to be comfortable holding that position for, say, longer than 20 seconds. So that's a very simple example. Can you brush your teeth in a deep squat? can you read a book or look at your smartphone in a kneeling position otherwise when do you ever kneel and that could explain why why it is that they're not comfortable in a kneeling position you see before looking at some fancy or very specific say programs for mobility that you're going to be scratching your head thinking when do I ever find the time to do that and to commit to that but if you lack mobility Maybe the reason is because you've been lacking natural movement, all that variety of natural movements. And if that is the cause to your lack of mobility, it's very likely that's also the antidote. So all you got to do is to find every opportunity you can to add and to bring back those lost natural movements in your day-to-day life. It really doesn't have to be complicated. Do more kneeling, do more squatting, get up and get down to the to the ground, to the floor. You know, whenever you're home, whenever you have some free time, do it. That's where it starts. And by the way, yeah, those movements are, we call them ground movements. They are, you know, they're not spectacular. It's not like a powerful jump where you have... A challenging landing, and if you miss, you, you could rehearse yourself—that kind of thing. That—that's also part of the MoveNet training, by the way. But, but that's not where you start. You don't start climbing high on a tree if you're not ready for it. You don't start walking across a fallen tree over, you know, a stream of raging waters with a possible possible risk and consequences and danger. You don't do that. That's not where you start. Look, most people. They not only they cannot deep squat, they have they are completely unable to get down to the floor and back up to a standing position without using their hands. So I invite our our listeners to just try this right now. You start from standing and you find a way to get to a sit position without placing your knees or your hands on the floor, and then to get back up. Number one, can you do it? Most people will realize that they cannot do it. And those who can do it might find themselves actually, you know, stiffening, holding their breath, being off balance, being slow, being uncomfortable, which are signs of lack of efficiency. It means that it's not fluid movement, it's not it's effective, you manage to do it, but it's hard to do. It's not comfortable to do, or not maybe not even pleasant to do. Maybe you, you felt some, some pain, some stiffness, some some problems doing it. And so you see, if you can't do those simple movements, then how much of, of your function have you already lost? And if you've lost those fundamental aspects of your function, what does that mean to your movement freedom? What does it mean to uh you know, to your quality of life. So before you try to do, you know, those, some of those, uh, say, iconic movement that MoveNAT is known for, you're going to lift and and shoulder a heavy log, walk on uneven terrains, you're going to climb a tree, you're going to jump from rock to rock, you're going to do all those beautiful, powerful, uh, skillful movements. That's awesome. That's what you have in mind to be able to do one day. But if you want to self-assess a little, just see where you're at doing those simple movements. And if you find yourself being a little in trouble, being challenged with movements you thought were were going to be easy, and then you realize, oh, well, well, it's not so easy. That's because you haven't been doing those movements in so long. So that's where you start. A deep squat. Bring one knee to the ground. To the floor. Then kneel. Then get up and get down. Then use your hands. Use no hand. Crawl on all four. Do a few steps forward. A few steps backward. Roll on your back. Hang from a wall. Hang from a tree branch. You know, if you have a backyard that's wonderful. Maybe you can. uh, We do a lot of awesome movements just using two by fours. It's. I'm the one who introduced that simple tool, two by four. It's just like you know, a few bucks. Just borrow one. You can just put it down on the, on the floor in the backyard. And as you watch a show or something, you can do balancing movements. So there are very simple strategies like that to, to get started. And you can, again, self assess and you can, you can do that on your own. And then if you find yourself being not so skillful, not so comf- comfortable, then that's maybe a good time. To look into you know my book or come and train with us because we're gonna teach you how you can do exactly the same movements and, and even many more movements but with much more technique, much more movement quality, much more efficiency because that's what we teach. L- last thing I want to say is that you see natural movement is is truly really universal it means that everybody can do it to some extent and anybody could at least you know, try to jump and actually jump but that doesn't mean you're going to do it well. Anybody can, you know, get down and get back up. And there are diverse ways to do that. It doesn't mean that you're going to do it well. It doesn't mean that you're going to be successful at all of your movements. And what we're going to teach you is Efficiency in natural movement—that's what we teach. That's what the MoveNet method is about.
0: And what I love about that—it's so easy. It doesn't—you don't have to set aside time, like for like MoveNet time. You can just do it throughout the day in your normal life. So some of the things that I've done that I've picked up from various MoveNet instructors is, whenever, like yeah, like when you're reading a book or working on your laptop, for example, instead of sitting at a desk, put your laptop on the couch and sit on the floor. Right. And do different positions. So like I like the side bend sit yes. when I'm um, and also I'll, I'll bend, to, you know, sit on one side and move to the other. It's uncomfortable at first because, mm-hmm. you know, I haven't sat like that in a while. Um, and then sometimes I'll move to a deep squat, while my laptops on the couch. Another one, yeah, that just hanging, like having a bar that you just grab and you just hang for a little bit. And I, the two-by-four, we have a two-by-four in our house. It's like a four-foot long two-by-four. And just walk on it, balance, kneel in a balanced position, stand back up.
1: That's excellent, Brett. And uh, you see, it does not take time off of your uh, occupations because you can do it as you you do what you, you need to do. It doesn't cost any money. It doesn't cost time. It, it costs very little energy actually it's not like uh, well it's some it's not really exerting you and and but it's beneficial it's so effective it's so beneficial it's beneficial not only to your physiology it's beneficial to your work because some movement will activate areas of the brain make it more alert and that transfers to you being more productive, uh, more sharp, more clear in your, in your work. Well, Rowan, where can people go to learn more about MoveNAT and your book? Well, that's MoveNAT.com, M-O-V-N-A-T.com. And the book is available on Amazon and other, you know, like Barnes and Noble. So in a title again, is the practice of natural movement. And, um, if that book is, uh, you know, a lot of people say it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing book. It's Also, it's a textbook. By that, they don't mean that it's complicated. All they mean is that they're surprised by the sheer volume of information that I shared in that book. And there's about less than 20% of the, the overall material that's, that's dedicated to what can be called a manifesto. It's the, the philosophy behind natural movement. That's in 12 principles. And it's important to really deeply understand because it's repacked really with insights as of why we want to practice movement to to approach our physical training that way so it's a very important foundation but what that means is that eighty percent of the book is really the how to it's hundred percent practical it's really entirely there's no fluff in there there's no you know like nerd information that you don't even know what to do with uh it's really Practical. It's every bit of information in there is about teaching you how to move better, how to do these movements, how to make progressions, what are the details of uh, a particular technique depending on a particular environment. So if, if we talk about jumping, we're not talking about one or two jumps, we're talking about several jumping techniques and the same goes for getting up. And the same goes for hanging and climbing and, and all of those other skills. So it's uh, it's almost like an encyclopedia. Some call it the Bible of natural movement. But really what it is, is it's the MoveNet method. Because natural movement is not a method. MoveNet is a method. Natural movement is the concept that I've delineated and make popular in the last decade. Before that, nobody knew what it was. Or they would have some random explanation for, you know, people were asking me, what is a natural movement? So I had to define that. But the book is really the book about the movement method. It's how do you relearn all of this?
0: Well, very good. Well, Erwan LaCour, thanks for your time. It's been a pleasure.
1: It's been a real pleasure, Brett. Absolutely. And by the way, I really love what you do. Really sharing an amazing wealth of information and inspiration. For men who want to reclaim, you know, what it is to feel strong, but also healthy, like a, a good to reclaim the, all the goodness of, of being a man.
0: Thank you so much, Erwan. My guest today was Erwan Lacour. He's the author of the book, The Practice of Natural Movement. It's available on Amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. And you can find out more information about MoveNet at MoveNet.com. Also, check out our show notes at slash natural movement. We can find links to resources where we can delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the AOM podcast. Check out our website at artofmanliness.com where you find our podcast archives. There's over 500 episodes there. And we've also got thousands of articles we've written over the years about natural movement, movement, physical fitness, how to be a better husband, better father, you name it. We've got it. And if you haven't done so already, I'd appreciate if you take one minute to give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. It helps out a lot. And if you've done that already, thank you. Please consider sharing the show with a friend or family member if you would think we get something out of it. Shoot them a text message, for example. As always, thank you for the continued support. Until next time, this Brett McKay. Remind- not only listen to the aon podcast but put what you've heard into action